Hello, I'm John Eldridge, and welcome to the Ransomed Heart audio podcast. For more information on Ransomed Heart Ministries, our resources, and events, please visit us online at www.ransomedheart.com. I was talking to an acquaintance a few weeks ago. He actually is professor and deeply involved in the leadership of a seminary here in the United States. And we were talking about the cross of Christ, and he was telling me that among both the students and the faculty in a kind of what I think what would be characterized as a pretty trendy city, pretty hip, postmodern, urban community, that the cross they don't believe in the cross anymore. That the cross is merely Christ's empathetic suffering with humanity. Obviously, I was pretty blown away by that. And we pushed into the conversation a little bit more. And the reason that there'd been this kind of progression is they don't believe in sin or they don't want to talk about it is more the issue. There's kind of this culture that so many of them kind of wounded by religion and rejecting kind of a oppressive legalistic church cultures that a number of them had come from, just feel like conversations about sin are not good and helpful, that it's better to talk about the empathetic love of Jesus on the cross and how he embraced our suffering blew me away, not because that was an isolated case, Mm -hmm. but because I've seen that trend in modern Christianity that I think given the very therapeutic culture of the times that we live in, and you just don't hear sin talked about Mm -hmm. anymore outside of perhaps legalistic, moralistic categories. And it made me wonder, man, if you do away with that, what do you do with the work of Christ? I'm like, what was that all about? (laughs) Friends, welcome back to the Ransomed Heart podcast. Craig McConnell and John Eldridge here talking about just some thoughts on what do we do with the word sin? What do we do with the category? What does that arouse, conjure, elicit in us? And has something subtly shifted in good-hearted, many sincere, loving followers of Christ that seems like you go back and you read Craig like C.H. Spurgeon, right? Or you read A.W. Tozier or, you know, some of the kind of older saints from previous centuries and a lot of their sermons— had to do with why the cross and why the cross was so amazing and so powerful and what it was about. And to be honest, a lot of their sermons are about sin. Mm-hmm. And man, you, boy, you compare that to, no, it's about, you know, nowadays it's effective parenting <laughs> and time management, you know, being a good steward of your time and, you know, financial management Right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think with the loss of 
an understanding or an appreciation of sin comes the loss of a need for God. I mean, what do I need God for if I don't have a condition or problem that goes beyond my ability to resolve or fix or address? I think you lose the concept of grace, you know? Exactly. Exactly. I think there's this widespread agreement and understanding now that something's gone wrong within us. Mm-hmm. But thanks to Oprah and the therapeutic culture, the way people tend to think of it now is, well, what's primarily gone wrong inside of me is wounds, um, mm-hmm. trauma, loss, abuse, brokenness is my primary issue, right? Mm-hmm. That, Because I think there's a general agreement, even in just in the culture at large, that, you know, People are broken. People need help. Something's wrong within us. I mean, you know, the proliferation of addictions and mental disorders and that sort of thing. So there's there's an acknowledgement that, mm-hmm. oh, yeah, yeah, I'm not pretending I'm perfect. Right. But we've shifted from what's really wrong mm-hmm. in me is what the scriptures refer to a million times over as sin. What's really wrong in me is kind of brokenness. Mm-hmm. And if that's the case, that my issue is brokenness, not sin, what's the answer? What's the resolve? Is it education, therapy, building self-esteem? Oh, my goodness. It's all that. Yep. Just walk through the bookstore. <laughs> <laughs> right? <laughs> Right? It's all about either getting your thought life under control or your anxiety. It's about how to overcome your addictions. It's whatever tools that are available in your neck of the woods that address brokenness. You know, so we chase that stuff. And I thought this was a very, very revealing example of this. And I'm not going to go into parenting styles, but there's a popular parenting style right now, um, we don't say no mm-hmm. to our children. There are no no's in our household. Yeah. And instead, it's redirection. It's, oh, Jimmy, you know, don't pull on Susie's hair. Why don't instead we pull on this bar over here mm-hmm. and, and play a game or, you know, it's a redirected. But the idea that, oh, oh, we don't, we don't say no. Mm-hmm. Um, pretty popular, mm-hmm. pretty hip. And as I was as I was thinking about that parenting style, I thought, wow, how does that jive with thou shalt not murder? You shall not commit adultery, you shall not lie, you shall not steal, right? That mm-hmm. it seems to be an awful lot of no's in the scripture. Yeah. And I don't want to get into the rights or wrongs of that particular parenting style, but rather use it as an illustration of sin isn't the issue. Mm -hmm. Because if you thought that the core issue in your child is their sin nature, then you would be looking for ways to address that, right? Mm -hmm. Train up a child in the way he should go. You know, you would be looking for the expressions of that original sin nature in there, and you'd be looking for ways to shape it, right? And you'd be drawing lines, you know? There would be no's. Yeah. 
but you don't need nose if essentially what's wrong is humanity just needs to be shaped in a more loving direction. Yeah. And what we're talking about is is the belief that man's basically good. I mean, he may be broken, dented, maybe uh, two degrees off to the left, but at his core, man is basically good. And that's a different posture than what God says about our you know, our nature. Well, and how can anyone hold to that, <laughs> especially if you've been a parent? I mean, that's the remarkable thing is good, holy, loving, kind, godly parents, and suddenly your little two-year-old is defying, you know, sneaking a cookie, stealing brother's toys. I mean, my goodness, you see it come out yeah. in childhood, and you certainly see it in global politics. Like, Really? People can still hold on to that belief. So, Craig, what I want to do, I think this will be a great help to our listeners. I really do. I want to try and shed some light on outside of a religious, legalistic, damaging kind of religion. How do you think the scripture defines What's wrong with humanity? What is your understanding of the Scripture's definition of sin? Yeah. Just to say in different words, which you've just said again, I don't think you can exclusively define sin as um, behaviors, John, because it goes deeper in that religious, legalistic group and school often limits their understanding of sin to just external behaviors and do's and don'ts and morals and so on. My understanding of sin, I think Jeremiah 2 illustrates it, it's a turning of one's heart from God to other things for our deepest needs. Jeremiah 2, you know, picks up in verse 5 with God simply saying, what, what fault did your fathers find in me? This is God speaking through Jeremiah to his people. And he proclaims, what fault did your ancestors and fathers find in me? How did I not come through for you? And then the prophet calls all of the heavens to witness. Has a nation ever changed its gods? My people have exchanged their glory for worthless idols. Hmm. And he says, be appalled at this, O heavens, and shudder with great horror. And then here's the crux of it. My people have committed two sins. They have forsaken me, the spring of living water, and they have dug their own cisterns, broken cisterns that cannot hold water. And so just that over here are springs of living water and life, but people refuse to partake of that fountain of life and choose instead these pots in the ground that hold no water and broken, but hover around them, hoping and waiting and expecting that something will change over time and that they'll get the refreshment of life they're looking for. And Craig, I'm, <laughs> I'm cracking up at this verse. I know this verse very well. Uh -huh. You and I have shared a understanding of it for a number of years, but for the first time, I'm kind of seeing something new. It's like, okay, so here's what God describes. He says, I want you to be appalled 
be appalled at this, O heavens, shudder Mm -hmm. with great horror. And so you kind of brace yourself going, holy cow, what's he about (laughs) to describe? You know, infant sacrifice to Molech or, you know, incest among the priesthood of Israel or what is this? And he says, my people have forsaken the fount of living water. And they've gone to dig for themselves broken cisterns. And you kind of go, well, shudder in great horror at that? Like, I mean, okay, that's an issue and that doesn't sound like a good thing to do. And really, I think this is how most people look at it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, I know. I I know. I look for comfort, you know, and chocolate and (laughs) things like that. I'm a little uh, kind of a workaholic. I kind of look for my security to you know, my work and that kind of thing, but shudder, Mm -hmm. be appalled, be horrified at this. I don't think people look at their chasing other things as that big of an issue or frankly, maybe more a reflection of their brokenness, right? Oh, yeah, yeah, I've just kind of struggled with this one for years. It's just kind of my issue and yeah. Or I think people minimize, you know, uh, my couple of drinks every evening after work are nothing compared to Joe down the street who's uh, having an affair. You right. Know? Yeah. Paul shuddered. No, no. Totally unaware that this is happening actually in our lives. Unaware or not thinking it's that big of a deal. Mm-hmm. And this is where just to bring some clarification, I think there are two kind of camps right now in the culture. One is a holdover from the past, and it's the religious camp that still focuses on sin, but it focuses on sin as behavior. Right. You know, we ran an article in the new online magazine that we have for men called Ann Sons. About way back in our opening issue, we ran an article on cigars that we love. And, you know, we took some heat for that. And people are like, how can you, how can you recommend the smoking of tobacco? You know, and you kind of go, really? Like, that's what you focus on? That's, that's what you think holiness is about? Jots and tittles, that's straining gnats and swallowing yeah. camels. Uh, there isn't even a biblical prohibition against that. There isn't, you know, and, So you kind of have the moral camp that focuses on external issues, you know, driving the speed limit, right, and that kind of thing. Or you have the camp that it's more about brokenness, Mm -hmm. and these are just my struggles, and it has to do with abandonment as a child or my fears or that sort of thing and abuse that I experienced. And both camps are actually completely missing. Yes, what the core of the issue is that yeah. Jeremiah is saying, look, this is so horrifying that you're going to be appalled when I describe this to you. Yeah. And yeah. yet when he does describe it, we kind of go, eh. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. If I could share a story on that, John, just recently a friend of mine got outed for a pretty serious uh, sexual addiction and problem with pornography. And I was going to write a letter to him. My first two drafts of this letter, I was appalled at his problem with pornography and the implications and the ripple effect of that. 
And my letters reflected my being appalled at his sin. And it is a sin, no question about it, of, you know, just going to this celluloid woman instead of his own. This broken cistern. Yes. It took three days before I realized, you know what, the sexual addiction, the pornography, those are ghastly sins and horrible but my focus began to shift to, wow, wow, what's really going on beneath that is something deeply profound and intimate with God, you know, that his hope for healing and change isn't going to be on controls on the Internet and strict accountability. That may play a part, but the real core issue is something profoundly different and very intimate and personal with God mm. and some idolatry, some attachment, something there that needs to be addressed. Mm. But my point is that what I was appalled at shifted from sinful outward behaviors, and they were sinful, to a deeper <laughs> a deeper awareness of what the real sin issue is deeper. It's one of where is he going? Craig, here's the thing. Even when you say that right now, our listeners are yeah. hearing you. Where is he going for life? Why doesn't that sound appalling to us? Why, John? I don't know. I, I think this is some of the incredulity that you hear in God's tone of yes. voice. That, like, it honestly, it doesn't appall us. We're not appalled. Let me try another pass at this. You shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, all of your soul, all your mind, all your strength. We are far more appalled that the pastor slept with his secretary than we are that the entire elder board do not love the Lord their God with all their heart, soul, mind, and strength. I mean, they don't actually really love him all that much at all. I mean, they obey him. They mm -hmm. fear him. They reverence God. They confess him, you know. But you see, like, it's really pretty mind-boggling that, like, what we actually do get appalled over, you know, we learn that in an office that I worked in years ago, the, the office manager was this sweet woman. <laughs> she was kind of the nanny of the office. And then it comes out that she's embezzling. <laughs> she's embezzling funds. And like the shock of it, it's like saying your grandmother's stealing from you, you know? And everybody was kind of so horrified, horrified that grandma could be skimming a little off the top of this, this secular company. But we're not appalled when we say, yeah, but she doesn't love her God with all her heart, soul, mind, and strength. Yeah. That doesn't appall us. Yeah. Yeah. What is with that? <laughs> it's just bizarre. It's messed up. I mean, like our categories, our categories are messed up. Mm -hmm. Okay. Another try, another pass at this. What we're attempting to do, friends, is to recast and re-understand what the what the scripture refers to when it's using the word sin, what is sin? In Romans 14, Paul gives a very simple definition. He says, whatever is not from faith is sin. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. 
I mean, the pucker factor at that. <laughs> like, oh, like suddenly we've moved outside of categories of, but I'm honest and I'm not cruising the internet looking for child pornography, I, mm-hmm. right? I don't hold absolute hatred in my heart to my next door neighbor because his dog pees on my lawn. I'm a pretty good person. You know, I, I think I'm living well. I don't lie. I don't lie. I practiced honesty. All right. And then Paul comes in and goes, oh, wait, wait, wait. Okay. Hang on your framework. He says, whatever you do in your life that isn't based on confidence in the goodness of God is sin. And so the fact that because you're fearful about your finances, you are compelled to put in 90 hours a week, you know, mm-hmm. that's not an issue with workaholism. Yes. That's sin. That's an outward expression of a heart that just does not, does not, mm-hmm. does not trust God, right? Our personalities, our styles of relating, you know, the fact that you're always quiet, never really share your opinion with others. Paul says that that's not humility. Yeah. And that's not just because you're kind of a mild person. He says, oh, no, actually, that's that's raving, flagrant sin mm-hmm. because that's totally built on a fear of rejection and a fear of what others think of you. And, and therefore, that's not a faith. Whatever is not a faith is sin. So we're not appalled. It's an entirely different category, reorientation. What do we do? How how do we genuinely see life and the inner issues of the heart as God sees versus some trumped up faux holiness that's offended by, you know, every little, you know, external thing? I mean, how do I move from from not seeing clearly what's happening to seeing clearly and being appalled by it. Craig, I'm not sure. I think one of the doorways into this for us is betrayal. No one, no one likes being betrayed. No one likes being chosen against, you know, whether that's in a marital relationship and one of the spouses chooses another person over their spouse in adultery or emotional affair, whether that's in friendship and you just find yourself lied to by your friends and betrayed. I think that's a that's a closer access emotionally to us to begin to get into the issue. We're talking about relationship. Mm-hmm. You have a relationship with your God. Mm-hmm. And we're not talking about behavior Primarily, we're talking about relationship. You have a relationship with your God, and the way that you treat God in your relationship, issues of where you go looking for life, where you go looking for comfort, Mm -hmm. the ways that you arrange your life to protect yourself. I mean, I don't think most people have seen that self-protection is a sin. Mm -hmm. Self-protection is a sin. Because you're saying, I don't trust God to protect me. Right. I, you know, I believe in God. I, I love God. I worship God. I sing. I sing those songs every Sunday. I mean it. But the fact of the matter is, the way we live our life, kind of our default button, has very little to do with God and very much to do with securing ourselves against pain, 
trying to get a little bit of life. Mm -hmm. And the scriptures say, right, right, exactly. That's what we're trying to describe. That's not faith. That's sin. That's appalling. That's horrifying. I think it opens up a brand new category for people to really understand, one, the scriptures, two, the cross of Christ and why that was necessary. I mean, we don't even have a culture that understands why sacrifice is needed anymore. Why is atonement even needed? But as you begin to push into what the actual, what actually is going on in your own life with regards to Jeremiah 2 or Romans 14, 23, it is appalling. Yeah. Does it come down to something like this, John? This is a rough sketch where we go to Christ and we simply say, Lord, just thinking about sin in a new category is me going to other places, to other lovers for comfort, for peace, for validation, for me in some subtle ways finding other gods that come through for me, or at least I hope they do, knowing that, Lord, show me where I do that, how I do that. As we're talking, John, I, what I'm recognizing is I am appalled by other people's sin. I just honestly, <laughs> it's like I am. I am appalled. <laughs> but by what? By the fact that they are going to broken cisterns or by the fact that they're doing some behavioral thing you think is? Primarily behavioral <laughs> things. Right. But yes, yes. You know what this reminds me of? Just uh, thinking of of your kind of uh, being captured by God being appalled and the emotion and the passion is I can think of times hiking with you or fishing with you and out of nowhere you stop and you start going, whoa, this is a re-dramatization, but whoa, look at the mountains, look at that. Do you smell the sagebrush in the air and you feel the Warmth coming down the canyons and look at the colors and and you're seeing something I'm not seeing. And I'm standing next to you and in your amazement and being captured by beauty or something, I'm going, huh? Yes. And I have to kind of look around and (laughs) it's almost like that. God's reacting to something here that that's not my reaction. Exactly. And I got to stand here and go, okay, what am I missing? What's... Yes. What am I not seeing or what is it yes. about him that he's so excited that I don't share? And gang, that's perfect, Craig. I think the thing that's going to help you get there is back to relationship because the scripture, scripture primarily describes sin as adultery. It's adultery of the heart. It's what you give your heart to other than God for life, love, comfort, meaning, security, significance, affirmation. Joy, Mm. hope. And so, gang, you know, I mean, those of you who are parents, you know that your child, if they only came to you for breakfast, lunch, and dinner, and otherwise just didn't want to have anything really to do with your company, kind of, they can take you or leave you, right? It's not hatred. I'm not talking about, but they can just kind of take you or leave you, right? I mean, you know how hurt you would be by that? Or those of you, you know, just at a friendship level, 
know what it's like to be left out of birthday parties, ski trips, invitations, you know, camping adventures, and you learn afterwards. And this is where Facebook has just become so, I think, devastating to people is, you know, or Instagram. They see pictures posted and realize they weren't included. I wasn't a part of that. I didn't know the girls were in town. How come they didn't invite me to that, you know? I think this will really help us to realize just from a relational perspective, we're pretty hurt mm-hmm. when we're not chosen and we're pretty hurt when we have something to offer and people say, yeah, no thanks, I'm not really interested in what you have to offer. I'm, I'd actually rather go watch a movie or I want to go spend time with someone else, right? Like it helps yeah. us, I think, begin to get an emotional grasp, like a heart-level grasp of, oh, holy cow, okay, wait, this is totally changing the way I think about sin. I've been thinking about it primarily in moral categories. I don't lie. I'm trying to do good, you know. I do turn my eyes away from lust, or, you know, when I see envy crop up, I try and push it away. But, man, this is a whole different thing you're describing here. You're describing a relational context in which, yeah, no, I don't really love God with all of my heart, all of my soul, all of my mind, and all of my strength. I turn to a lot of other things, frankly. Silly things, food and alcohol, to bring to my soul the life that I can only find in God. Mm. And I think just allowing us to reflect on that is, I know, I know, awkward, tough. This podcast isn't going to, you know, go down as one of the top 10 in popularity, but I actually think there's just something really beautiful and phenomenal for us if we'll stay here a little bit with this. Friends, a little while ago, we ran a series of podcasts on the return of Christ, Jesus coming back, like as a as a real thing, as a reality, like it's going to happen. And it, you know, just entertain the thought of what if it is in your lifetime? What does that raise in you? And great series, by the way, if you didn't listen to it, <laughs> you go back to the archives and get it because it's awesome. But um, here's the thing that got left out. We just ran out of opportunity to talk about it. But I was struck by the whole category of Judgment Day. And how, again, in the older saints and a lot of the old songs and artwork and religious icons had to do with there is a judgment day coming. And I was even reading something in George MacDonald where he was talking about, look, (laughs) the fear of God is better than unbelief. You know, it's a beginning. Uh It's not love for God. It's not what he wants us to get to. But if the fear of a judgment day keeps a person from committing murder, that's a good thing. Mm-hmm. Versus, no, there's no real accountability. I, I'm not I'm not accountable to anyone. And I'm just wondering, Craig, if, if that's another symptom of the culture that we're describing. You know, we're, we breathe in this cultural air. We share its assumptions, its values. And nobody's appealed. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. No, nobody's appalled like Jeremiah 2 wants us to be appalled. No one's shuddering mm-hmm. that people look for life 
in all kinds of other things than God. Like, we don't think that's a real huge issue. We certainly don't think it's as huge as slavery or injustice or human trafficking. You know, we can name dozens of things that upset us more than that. Do you think that just total absence of any concept or conversation over (laughs) – you're actually going to be held accountable for your actions – a judgment day is coming. Do you think that's another symptom of this? Yeah. Yeah. I think if if sin is in a category, then my need for God diminishes rather quickly. And I think along with kind of a minimizing of sin, of some objective measurement of good and bad and evil and righteousness, doesn't seem like there's any consequences. I mean, there's no judgment day. What are you talking about? And it feels like the fool has said in his heart, there is no God. There's no accountability. There's no consequences. There's no standard. There's just nothing but, you know, whatever I want to create is an ethic for my life. Yeah, because if brokenness is the issue, well, then let's all just move towards... I need a therapist, a counselor. That's the answer. Yeah. And as a culture, we all just kind of need just be more kind and understanding to one another. You know, the remedies that we look for to the human condition are not the cross, the Mm. resurrection, and the ascension. It would be if society is to blame, then we need, you know, a new political system. So, yeah. Or an expert or or somebody. Economics, we need to Mm -hmm. change our financial values and... I mean, it's just really fascinating. What you think the remedy is reveals a lot about what you think the issue is, Mm -hmm. you know, and what you're passionate about seeing happen in the world reveals a lot of what you think the human condition really is. So if I'm not appalled at my betrayals of God in my sin, then whatever you call repentance probably doesn't have a lot of passion behind it either. No. You know, I'm thinking of Hosea, is it six, where prophet Hosea confronts his people and says, you know, your your repentance is like the morning dew. It's there. It's on the grass. It's drenched. But as soon as the sun comes out, it's gone. And yeah. it's, it's this temporary, short, not very profound or deep or lasting. Superficial. Yeah. Repentance. And so a kind of a light view, a non-appalled view of sin and the realities of this life, my world, my internals, produces kind of a superficial light repentance, too. Yeah, it does. Another pause. Listeners, do you know this podcast actually has a genesis to it? And the beginnings of this, why we decided to talk about this, Craig and I were sitting around a couple of weeks ago and we were saying... There's something core missing. There's something core missing in the Christians that we know and love, whether they be people who are really into kind of Holy Spirit churches and signs and wonders and manifestations of the presence of God and encounters, or they're people who are just living a beautiful life of humble service and give most of their income, frankly, to the poor. And I mean, I'm talking about great people across the Christian spectrum, solid people in every camp and all the ones we kind of said, there's something missing. And what feels like is 
missing is this, like an understanding of, (laughs) wait a second, like God's value system and what really is worth being appalled at and therefore what repentance looks like. I think probably what does a repentant lifestyle look like? Because if you saw this in someone's life, what you would pick up from them is, is I think, a pretty remarkable lifestyle of repentance, of not looking for life to things other than God, Mm -hmm. you know, and what he provides, Mm -hmm. I want to quickly add, and what he provides. Because, of course, there's, he gives us friendship and he gives us, you know, sunny days and he gives us good things. But so it's not like we're saying that's all wrong. We're just saying what you give your heart over to really matters. And this idea of Romans fourteen twenty three that, frankly, whatever is not from faith is sin. So I know you're not cheating on your wife, but the fact that you're an extremely controlling person at church or at work, that's actually so unbelievably godless and you don't even see it. Mm-hmm. And if you did, your repentance would be so beautiful. It would just mm-hmm. be so wonderful and so amazing. I think that was it. So I just wanted to let you know this conversation had a beginning, and the beginning was something really profound is missing mm-hmm. from the lives of a lot of the people we know and love and in our own lives. Mm-hmm. I mean, we're not putting ourselves out of this, but yes. it just feels like this category, this understanding of what sin actually is and what repentance actually looks like. And my goodness, this opens up. I mean, talk to me about repentance. Talk to me about that piece. How do you therefore describe repentance to someone? Yeah. You know, John, I used to think of repentance in a real kind of technical way of a change of mind, change of mind. And then others would say a change of mind that reflects a change of heart and results in a change of direction or something Mm -hmm. like that. And there's nothing wrong with that that definition at all. But what I've come to understand for myself repentance as being is repentance is describing the response to God's invitation to life. Mm. And that's what repentance Mm. is, is I'm responding to God's invitation to life and living it different than I currently am. And an example of this a couple of years ago, I was just in absolute turmoil, just aware that my continued efforts to get a budget, live within the budget, and to get out of this cycle of debt, and there was so much shame and self-contempt, and, and it was such an unfathered area, and I remember just being up at night really late and just just beating myself mm. up, mm. you know, just wanting to repent of my sloth and God coming and saying, Craig, your repentance is good, but you've been doing that for about five years now. Something more is needed. Mm. And it felt like it was a genuine repentance in that I was responding to an invitation to just approach life, finances, to live differently. And God would show me what that was. Mm. Follow me. Yeah, that's good. Yeah, because the issue isn't the behavior or the habits 
or even the addictions. Mm -hmm. The issue is the heart Mm -hmm. and what got all that going. Yeah. Right. Yeah. You know, something got that addiction going, friends. Something got that rage going. Yes. Something got that compulsion going. Something got that fear going. And what got it going was, bottom line, a, a deep conviction in our hearts that we can't trust God for life and we've got to go arrange for it on our own. And so a couple of ways that's been exposed in my life recently Despite the fact, (laughs) like there's what you believe and then there's suddenly what your heart believes. Ransomed heart does not have the scope and reach I wish it did. You know, I think we have something like, what, 50,000 people on our mailing list? You know, but you go, you got to be kidding me. Like what we offer is absolute gold. And compared to so much of the drivel that's out there, why isn't our mailing list 300,000 people? Like that's madness. It actually makes no sense to me. And so getting upset at things like that and then God putting his putting his finger on it and going, why is that important to you? Mm. And part of it is is a genuine desire, I think, for the kingdom of God, for others. And I think that part of it is looking for encouragement and validation in something other than God's love for me, mm-hmm. right? I mean, so this is wild because now we're talking about success in ministry. Right. Something that looks really noble and good can actually be a broken cistern, yes. especially when God asks you to let it go yeah. and say, can you just walk away from Ransomed Heart, John? Could you just let all this go and go live a a quiet life, work at Home Depot and the lumber department and just love people. And and it, whoa, it immediately raises, okay, hang on. There's more attached to this in my heart. Yes. Issues of security, significant love, validation. I'm not taking to God. I'm bringing it to my job or mm-hmm. my ministry or, mm-hmm. you know, Mm-hmm. Friends, do you kind of hear what we're trying to describe here is that what like a meaningful repentance looks like is discovering the ways that you're either Jeremiah 2, broken cisterns, or Romans 14, that has absolutely nothing to do with trusting God, seeing it mm-hmm. and beginning to choose in another direction. Mm-hmm. A direction that's accessible, that God's highlighting speaking to Mm -hmm. and inviting us Mm -hmm. into. Mm -hmm. It's not sheer volitional willpower. It includes that. But it's an invitation to live differently, to move the distance from this broken cistern, move in the direction of the springs of living water. The springs of life. Mm -hmm. Jesus said to the Pharisees, you search the scriptures because you think in them you have life, but you refuse to come to me to have life. That was his main beef with them, you know, in addition to (laughs) their spiritual abuse of others and their arrogance and pride and all those other things he spoke to. His primary thing was, you don't come to me to have life. Mm -hmm. Jeremiah too. you building broken cisterns and broken cisterns can look like a family. Mm -hmm. You can look to your family. For your life, broken cisterns can look like ministry. You can look to ministry for life. Broken cisterns can even be encounters where you're jumping from, you know, one conference to another, trying to have some amazing experience. But the rest of your life doesn't 
really look like loving God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength? Yeah. In one category, I'd say if there's one that sin expresses itself most commonly in, as you've highlighted, John, is relationships. You know, if the greatest command is to love God with all our heart and then others as ourselves, and our love for others is the mark of our discipleship, and you just look at the emphasis of relationships in Scripture, inevitably, issues of the heart, profound brokenness, and sin are going to find expression in how I relate to others. So, I mean, that's that's kind of an immediate area that if you're wondering, where, where do I start with this? Number one, I'd ask Christ, but I'd really put before Christ the nature and kind of the substance of my relationships. Hmm. Yes, because whatever your broken cisterns are, it's going to get exposed in relationship, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. The broken cistern may not be the relationship, but it's going to get exposed in the relationship. You're hiding, for example, or you're controlling your need to be the center of attention. Whatever it is, it's going to be exposed in relationship. Friends, what we're putting out there for you, it's not condemnation. This is all. You're under love. You're under grace. It's just phenomenal. We are under love. We are under grace. But it opens up for us rich and powerful categories of repentance. Yeah. Sin, I mean, to really reduce it, sin is the stuff that gets in the way of us living the life we were intended to live. And so to deal with sin is to open yourself up for the fullness mm -hmm. of life God has for you. Right. Yeah, because the good news is is that there is a spring of living water. Yes. And if you turn to it, you can drink from it, right? <laughs> it's not stop drinking as the <laughs> metaphor goes, you know. Uh -huh. It's those broken, dirty cisterns aren't doing it. Come back to the fountain of life. That's so good, Craig. I mean, the, the invitation is back to life. Jesus mm -hmm. says you refuse to come to me to have life. But if you did come to him, what would you have? Mm -hmm. Yeah. You'd have life. Right. You know, and so, yeah, there's a wonderful, wonderful, wonderful side of this. And it's deeper, richer experience of God. And again, just some embarrassing self-confession, but also leading to some hopefulness, I think, for our readers. Over the past year, one of the things that God has just continued to say to me in various times of prayer is love me. And frankly, it sounds so ordinary. And the fact that he kind of insisted, he like keep repeating that was really beginning to bug me. But what it exposed was, I'm praying about other things. I'm intervening for other things. I'm fighting for other things. And God's going, oh, that's important, John. But Tiger, you got things out of whack here. Can we come back to love me? And it's just been this wonderful Beginning, mm -hmm. beginning, this wonderful rearranging of my priorities again and go, oh, my goodness. Mm -hmm. Like maybe another way of expressing it is, God, I choose you over this. Mm -hmm. And then you start letting that play itself out. I choose you over family. Right. I choose you over control. Yes. I choose you over what people think of me. Yeah. And you just begin to go, God, no, I I choose you over these things. Yeah. Can I share one? Yes. Or, or are we out of time? <laughs> <laughs> 
this is current, and you played a role in this one, John, with the whole cancer thing. There was something um, about a year and a half ago that rose up in me and just wanted to fight cancer on a level that I hadn't been in my own life. And I think in the progression of how God works with us, I began to just something in me wanted to defy cancer. And part of the defiance of it was to see it for what it was, a schoolyard bully full of bluster and fluff and that the threat of death had no power over me. And I kind of went to a place where I was raging. I hate cancer. Yeah, I remember that. I hate cancer. And it was beautiful how you and another person kind of pushed into that real gently, real subtly. And I realized, you know, when you're talking about sin in turning to something else, it was put to me real simple. Do you love God more than you hate cancer? It was like the light went on. I thought, what could be more noble than defying death in the name of Christ, hating cancer with the power of God, the joy of the you know, coming kingdom, and realizing that there was some subtle shift mm-hmm. where my hatred for cancer was what animated me, what was governing me over just love for God, mm. just worshiping him, mm. throwing myself into his arms, trusting mm. him, believing he would fight for me. And yes. that that hating cancer thing, which seems so noble right in a path to healing for me, was actually sin. It was actually turning away from God. And so it looks so different from every one of us. Yeah. And again, to help the listeners understand, it was because the primary energy of your soul governing yes was directed there yes. versus the primary energy of your soul directed in i love god yeah i love god yes yeah subtle but mm-hmm. appalling friends this is huge and it's hopeful and it's good and it's beautiful and we offer it in that spirit not not in any other Um, We offer it in the spirit of, oh my goodness, to begin to re-evaluate with this, with the evaluation that God uses, and to look at whole new ways of what repentance and love and trust look like. Oh my goodness, what this will open up for you in your spiritual life will be really, really good. And John, I mean, we're coming full circle with just that how the cross is meaningless and how, you know, what we're talking about here is and the cross takes care of this. The work of Christ covers my sin. Yeah. This sin. This kind of sin. Yes. Yeah. So beautiful. Mm -hmm. You've been listening to the Ransomed Heart Podcast with John Eldridge and Craig McCall. 